From BYU Broadcasting's Performance Studio, this is Highway 89. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Our guest today is Julian Gargiulo. I could introduce him as a pianist, but that would leave out his delightful ability to mix the old masters with modern fare. And I could call him a composer, but then you'd picture Sonata No. 1 and Quartet No. 2 when his actual compositions have names like Flight of the iPhone. I could call him a scholar, but that wouldn't include the Verona State Conservatory, the Muji Academy in Rome, or the Moscow State Conservatory, and would leave out degrees at Rowan University, the Peabody Conservatory, and a Doctor of Musical Arts degree at the University of Maryland. I could call Julian a teacher, but that wouldn't describe his getting to Carnegie Hall competition for up-and-coming young musicians, where he chooses four finalists by video, and the audience votes live as they perform, and then he interviews them on stage like a talk show host, or how he founded the Water Island Music Festival in the Virgin Islands, featuring classical and jazz musicians for three days of music. How about we just say you're about to meet Julian Gargiulo, a connoisseur of music and life and learning. He was born in Italy, has dual citizenship in the U.S., lives in France, just because, we'll ask why later, he's released eight albums and When He Dies... I hope he leaves me his rock star hair. Julian is in Utah with the Mundi Project. Here is Steinway artist Julian Gargiulo flexing his chops on two different pieces for us. First, from Chopin, Etude, Opus 10, number 12, followed by music from the great tango composer Astor Piazzolla, Oblivion, in Julian's own piano transcription. Thank you. 
on Highway 89, performing live, Julian Gargiulo performing first, Etude Opus 10, Number 12 by Chopin, and his own piano transcription of Oblivion by Astor Piazzolla. Julian, thank you for coming and playing for us. Steve, it's great to be here. Does that sort of sum up your your musical taste in a nutshell? We just heard something very traditional with lots of, of skill, and then you applied all of that skill to something not so traditional. I never thought of it that way, but yeah, in a sense, I guess that is, a, if you had to condense me, you, you really want to condense me. <laughs> no, 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 be, be all of you. We're glad to have you. We'll turn up the mic. Excellent. So well, tell us about this co competition you do. It, uh, it's called Getting to Carnegie, and I guess it, that's a play of, of the old, how do I get to Carnegie? Hell, oh, practice, you know, people asking directions, but you mean something altogether different. Um, I guess I mean I mean that in in the sense that uh, every artist's dream is to get to Carnegie, and uh, this competition—it's a competition—is um, uh, is precisely that. If you're in the competition, if you get selected to be in the finals, uh, they take place at Carnegie Hall. So in a sense, you get to Carnegie, and there's there's the there's the title for you. Um, the other interesting uh, fact about the competition is that. Um, the audience is the one that decides the winner, which is very atypical for a classical um, yeah. competition. So they hear the four perform in the same evening. So, so what happens is it's it's several things combined because the the performance also serves as the premiere, um, the the first the world first performance of uh, the the composition that I have just written. The first year it was a violin sonata. This uh, year that we just did it um, a couple of weeks ago, actually, it was a cello sonata. So four movements, yes. four performers. They each come out, they play their movement, and then at the end, the audience uh, decides the winner. It's a little bit like Carnegie Hall meets America's Got Talent. <laughs> <laughs> so when the audience votes, do you usually, so far, have you agreed with the audience? Never. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, the, it, it's, you know, it's, a, it's a fascinating the the um, it, first of all it involves them much more so one thing about my performances in general they're they're less standard and they're they're more involving of the audience but this this competition in particular if you are suddenly given the 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 the, the voting power if you've given that yeah. to the audience they feel much more invested because it's like I want my guy to win you know you have this whole <laughs> they're feeling. paying attention and yeah they're really paying attention so um, they they ask me at the end so do you agree. And I, I always played the fifth, so. Okay, okay, we'll let you continue to do that. How, how do you work out the fairness? Uh, for instance, four movements, if someone says, well, I got the adagio, but I don't really get to show off my double stops or whatever it might be, how do you work that out? Um, I would say that there is for sure some inherent uh, um, unfairness built into the system. I, I like to make it a reflection of life in general because I feel that there's a lot of inherent <laughs> injustice built right into the system. But, uh, you know, be more expressive if you have the slow movement. Win mm. them over that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's great. I'm just picturing being in the hall. So do they have a form they fill out and then, you know, please pass them to the right? Or how, how does it work? Yeah, we're, we're, very, we're very, very high tech with it. Uh, so far it's been a... a pencil and a piece of paper. Okay. Um, we had at one point envisioned everybody was going to vote by text message, but um, 
there was very bad service in <laughs> <laughs> coverage, Carnegie cell Hall. phone coverage in Carnegie <laughs> Hall. So to abandon that. Well, we're going to come back and talk more more about your more than interesting life in just a minute. But please introduce Puerto Rican Day Parade. This is your own original composition. Puerto Rican Day Parade comes from when I was living in New York, and it it the composition of the piece took place on the day of the parade when uh, it's it's the biggest parade in the country actually and wow. new york city goes absolutely crazy i was on the east side and i was trying to get uh, home i lived on the west side the parade goes down fifth avenue so i got to the 72nd street crossing and there was an nypd officer we all know how um you know friendly they are <laughs> and uh, and he he said where are you going i said i'm trying to get home he said y you can't cross here can't you see there's a parade you're gonna have to go up to 96th street um so you know he had the gun so i started walking quickly <laughs> and i got to 96th street and there were you know several of his friends there who who again said where are you going sir i said well the officer at 72nd told me i would be able to cross at 96th and they said no 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 you have to go down to 68th um so you know I figured well <laughs> <laughs> Makes perfect sense. We're in New York, you know. so uh, so anyway, I was getting more and more frustrated, and um, I finally made it home and uh, sat down at the piano. And, and this is kind of what came out of me. Um, and, and and if I if I were doing a, a performance and giving this explanation in front of the audience in this moment, I would actually sit down and play. Let's let you do that let's, let's, very thing right now. First, Puerto Rican Day. Puerto Rican Day Parade by Julian Gargiulo, followed by uh, his arrangement of Bach and Brahms' lullaby. Thank you. 
This is Highway 89, live from our performance studio at BYU Broadcasting. We've just heard Julian Gargiulo with his original piece, Puerto Rican Day Parade, and his arrangement of Bach and Brahms' lullabies. And uh, were those lullabies inspired by your daughter? Yes, they were. We were living in Athens, Greece, and uh, that is where my wife gave birth. My wife, her name is Electra, and... uh, as you may have guessed, she is Greek, and uh, so we decided to be close to her family and moved to Athens for the actual birth. And um, after Nikita, our, our baby daughter, was, was born, I found it became very difficult to practice. <laughs> and, uh, and so I would tie her up in this baby wrap. Uh-huh. Um, and then I, This I'm, is different than saran wrap. You're talking about like an actual thing that's made for... I wanted to do saran wrap, but but my wife was okay. very against it. Um, yes, this is one of those uh, those baby carrier things. Okay, and uh, and uh, so I would do that, and then finally I could actually practice with her in the baby wrap. Yeah. So it was. I thought it was quite funny me practicing with Nikita sleeping, wrapped all up in me. And uh, and so I was fooling around with uh, the lullaby of Brahms and and the and the first prelude of Bach, and uh, and then we put it together as a little as a little video. So during a show, I would actually project that video, which I always joke with the audience and 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 tell them that you know I, I made the video, I put it on YouTube, and it went viral in my family, um, and and you know and and then I, I project the video and I, I play along with it. So. So, but but I thought that this was TV, and it just turned out to be radio. So, so sorry about so. that. No one will see your your sequin suit or anything that you've prepared for the day. <laughs> and the wig. <laughs> Tell me about the music and lyrics of A Hat in August. We ah. saw this. We saw this on on YouTube as well. Okay. Ah. Well, that's a. Uh... Very, uh, very non-comical, <laughs> very non-comical segue. No, that that the lyrics from A Hat in August. Well, I guess one of the things that I do is uh, write poetry. Mm-hmm. So that's um, it's a poem that I wrote that was kind of dedicated to my mother when I was. Um, my, my mother is still around, so <laughs> it sounded ominous. <laughs> but my mother is in New York, probably listening. Um, and uh, when I was much younger in Italy, we would. Um, we would uh, rent these little uh, pedal boats mm. and we would go around with my mom and and it was just i guess the reflection on on that happy memory i guess if you will and it's a bit sad but it's also you know memory how it is it's bittersweet in a way because yeah, it's gone but it's with you so exactly. you have you have both of those things happening simultaneously mm. And then just a very fun video, which was uh, when when you were running your daughter around, sitting on the rolling the, the rolling suitcase at the airport. Were you thinking of the soundtrack of the the, the flight of the bumblebee as you did that? I uh, yeah, I, I don't know what I was thinking. I, I probably wasn't thinking very much at all. Just entertaining, just her. entertaining her. Yeah, it's uh, as as I was as I was just saying previously. You know, we only have the one, but it feels like triplets. Um, I, I guess <laughs> the the first one sometimes is. High maintenance, but, but uh, a very fun video. When it's suddenly somehow you put that with the flight of the bumblebee, and it, <laughs> it's very effective. Now, we're going to hear another original piece from you, and then a transcription. So uh, people, if I say he's going to play Mission Impossible, people are already in five four going bum 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 bum. But tell me about your Mission Impossible. Well, Mission Impossible comes from um, my experience changing baby Nikita's diaper 
Um, and uh, and I, I talk about that briefly, and then I say I've composed a piece, Mission Impossible. <laughs> okay, we're going to hear this original piece, Mission Impossible, by Julian Gargiulo, followed by uh, his transcription of a Carlos Gardel piece, Por una Cabeza. And you could hear both of these on his 2014 album release, Roll Over Beethoven.
We've just heard two pieces. First, Mission Impossible original music by our pianist today, Julian Gargiulo, followed by Poruna Cabeza by Carlos Gardel. Listening to Mission Impossible, it sounded like the baby did not want to stay in one place. <laughs> that's, that's a very okay. accurate uh, description, Steve. <laughs> that's an understatement, I would say. <laughs> well, we enjoy so much hearing your original pieces. That's a, a lot of fun. That, that's very exciting. You know, it's, it's funny because Nikita, I, I speak to her. I was raised in Italy, so I speak to her in Italian. My wife speaks to her in Greek. And my wife and I, we speak in English at home, the two of us. Yes. But we live in France, so she goes to the French nursery. So Nikita's getting all these languages, so I think she's getting back at us, you know. <laughs> she's getting back at us. <laughs> she can act out in four different languages. <laughs> You'll be pulling at your dictionary. What did she call right, me? Exactly. <laughs> So that's going to be so interesting to see how she learns to separate, like, oh, we're in this mode now. We're in this mode now. Yeah. I think they're, we are very unstructured as a family. Like, we're not strict, neither of us. We're both good cop. Mm -hmm. So um, I think at the nursery, the French are a little more structured. So we've noticed that if we speak to her in French, she's a little more obedient. Okay. Arrête. Arrête. <laughs> exactly. So how did you choose to, to live in France? Because with your musical career, uh, you could live in so many places to do what you do. Um, I would say purely aesthetic reasons um, is, the, is my first answer. Paris, really? You're really asking me, why did you choose to live in Paris? <laughs> That's not a fair question. But uh, in the course of deciding where we wanted to live, it was a bit the dream of uh, both of our dreams, uh, Electra oh. and I, to live in Paris. Um, she applied and, and got into the Sorbonne um, to wow. study simultaneous translation. So um, 400 people applied and they only took 12. So we thought that that was a, you know, a good indication of, of you know, we, we now actually had a reason to come. And um, of course, living in France is this, it's very interesting. For instance, when you want to find an apartment, uh, to get an apartment, you need uh, a bank account. But to get a bank account, you need a residence. So there's a bit of a catch-22 situation. Like you, they, they don't make it easy, let's put it that way. Mm. Well, I, I'm just picturing you. Uh, I know you studied in Russia as well. So yeah, did you it, feel... It, it, it helped prepare me for the temperatures here in Utah. <laughs> okay, good. Yes, the snow on the mountains and in your coat. Exactly. Well, a tying in with... Uh, we talked earlier about your Getting to Carnegie project. That has caught the eye of, of some filmmakers, and they're actually, you're, you're doing, or maybe you've even just wrapped filming a project talking about, you know, Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers. It takes 10,000 hours to become really good at something if you put in the time. And certainly that applies to pianists and cellists, violinists, all of that. So uh, how, how does that work? Who are they filming? You, they're filming people who are wor working and applying to the competition. So the, the, the film is going to, the documentary is mm -hmm. going to, it's going to follow the competition. Um, and so it, it has followed the four finalists. So the, so the competition this year, the, the cello competition, yes. um, followed the four finalists, followed them all the way to Carnegie Hall, filmed at Carnegie Hall. And then uh, the winner of that competition gets to come to a festival that, that I started um, in Water Island and uh, and perform um, there, which is you know it's in the Caribbean. So during January, it's it's a good place to be, and uh, and so we've actually uh, done a bit of filming even 
in Amen. there. Yeah. Oh. It, it's it's a bit a bit like you know you you live your life and then you go to heaven <laughs> at the end of it. <laughs> there so. is a reward. There is a reward exactly. <laughs> Ten thousand hours. You, you know. It, so, it, but it will also it will also so other than just following the competition and the competitors, it will also talk about this idea about ten thousand hours and what motivates somebody to, you know, when they could really be doing yeah. anything else, spend that amount of time in a practice room alone with just their instrument, and um, and you know, and it will also in a way uh, look at the idea of Carnegie Hall and examine, you know, what is each and every one's personal Carnegie? How do they hmm. get to their, you know? What is it that they strive for, and yes. what is it that motivates you as as a person, like in 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 broader terms, rather than just so there'll be like a philosophical aspect, and then a very tangible, following the competition aspect to the film. Well, it sounds exciting. Also, yeah, and, and it's great because we we got you know we got George Clooney to star in it now. And, wow. <laughs> and he's in I mean, space he, I mean, he he doesn't know about it yet. Of course, it's a surprise. Surprise <laughs> acting. It's my favorite. <laughs> Sandra Bullock will present him the award at the end. That's great, great. Well, you have really worked this out. <laughs> now, we can look for this on PBS at some point? Yes, that, yes. That's, that's producing that's the, it. That is the idea. Yeah. Uh, if you want to check out the, the competition itself, go to gettingtocarnegie.com. This should be a lot of fun to explore. Well, we've talked about, uh, first year was violin music, and then you wrote a cello sonata for this competition that you're talking about, the one that's being filmed. So you've had to actually what make a tr piano transcription to be able to share that with us today. All for you, Steve. That, what I do for you. I am touched. <laughs> I am touched. So we're going to hear one movement, but first tell me how you chose tango before you head to the piano. You mean how I chose the, the, you, the title? Or the, yeah, uh-huh. Um, well, I, I, it's, it's like it's a tango. You'll hear it now. I think it's... Uh, I think it's descriptive. But were you thinking a tango on a cello would be great, or that's just as you began writing, this is what, what came out? I think probably a little bit of the latter, but I also mm -hmm. imagined someone tangoing with a cello. Wow, yes, they're the mm -hmm. right size. Please, we're going to hear the third movement of this original piece, which had its premiere in the recent Getting to Carnegie competition, the third movement of tango from the cello sonata, a solo piano version by Julian Gargiulo.
live on Highway 89 from our performance studio in BYU Broadcasting, the tango third movement from the cello sonata by Julian Gargiulo, a, a solo piano version. Beautifully done. And that must be so exciting to get to accompany the artist as they premiere the work. Oh, Steve, it's so exciting. It's been exciting both times to see these young kids that are so full of life, so full of energy on the stage at Carnegie to share it with them and the audience. And you feel like yeah. the audience is behind all of them. And it's, it's really an incredible experience, I have to say. It's been incredible both times. And, and we look for, forward to doing it um, next year. People keep asking me, so what is it going to be for next year? <laughs> and um, unofficially, I'm writing a song cycle. So I think oh. it might be for voice. Nice. So that should be fun. Well, when did your 10,000 hours begin? Uh, we read that it might have been 13. When did you start playing the piano? I got a bit of a late start. Um, uh -huh. And uh, indeed, I did, I did. That's when I learned how to read music. And I, mm -hmm. I knew how to play the piano before I was 13. But that's when my formal instruction yeah. happened. And so I would say I got my 10,000 hours, the bulk of them, from when I was 13 to maybe 19. So at the Music Academy, um, the conservatory in Verona, Italy. And I uh, found a very inspiring teacher. And, um, and also I was, um, I was a very shy uh, kid when I, was, uh, when I was growing up. When I was 13, I was a complete introvert. Mm -hmm. um, and so maybe, you know, had I had, a, <laughs> had I had many friends, I would have spent less time on on the piano but but uh <laughs> silver lining there silver lining well do you think that helped you sort of break through break that barrier because it seems like your music helps you reach so many people now well it's i guess i my, my sister was was discussing this with me the other day she said when you were little you had really straight hair and you were really shy and now you're super outgoing and your hair is very curly so we're a bit you know confused as to how all of this transpired <laughs> but you know i just i just go with it you know i just work here so <laughs> i'm i'm happy um i'm i'm who knows maybe when i was younger i re i think every introvert really would want to be an extrovert uh-huh um at least i did for sure i i know that i was very i was painfully shy but i would have loved to talk i would have loved to make jokes and make people laugh and be loved yeah. But I was just too shy. I couldn't do it. I couldn't, I couldn't make the leap. So maybe that very strong desire that I had then that I couldn't fulfill, and now I'm able to fulfill it, so it feels so good that mm. I want to keep doing it, and I want to do it even when I'm on stage. Do you think that gives you an extra gift when you're working with these, these finalists and, and the people you work with in a master class to kind of pull out of them what they have inside? Sure. I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, I can't compare myself with other people, but it's uh, it's so exciting to see somebody that is, you know, trying to express something, trying to bring something out and to and to work with them and see what, you know, what they're doing and their ideas. And and it's uh, it's certainly not I, I didn't I, I have to say that when I was younger, when I did start studying, I had a very uh, strict uh, teacher. I don't know if you're familiar with the movie. Um, whiplash, but uh, she was the strict version. <laughs> so, um, so, so I didn't have that kind of. Uh, but, but I, I like to approach my my class, my master classes, uh, more again as a conversation. You know, what are you trying to do? Why are you trying to do it? And I think simply asking somebody why they're doing something 
makes them think for themselves. And at the end of the day, you can't give anybody anything. Um, you have to, in a sense, awaken it within them. Hmm. So you have to like shine the light on something that's already there. Um, you, you, it, it's 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 a little bit like enlightenment. I think you know, yeah. even if you're standing next to the enlightened person, they can't enlighten you, but they can help you find enlightenment through yourself. So it's it's um, it, th- that's like the way that. I see it. I like yeah. that, and it kind of answers a question I had for you studying in Italy and Russia in the states, which is, you know, is there a, a Russian school of teaching, is and or, or an American? And it sounds like more like it's the individual teacher and their approach. For sure, in classical music, it's all about the the teacher. Um, you know, you, you very often you go to a, a school name. You know, you go to the Moscow State Conservatory, you go to Juilliard, or wherever it is that you go. But at the end of the day, you're not studying with the school. You're studying with one individual teacher. Mm. So it's very much like that. I do get, I mean, for sure they would talk about a Russian school and they would, you know, maybe talk about an Italian school, probably less. But, you know, and there there are those ideas of, you know, more, you know, of a school. But uh, I don't. I don't really subscribe so much to that idea. Um, and I've grown up in many different places. And maybe it's just because I grew up in many different places that I don't in particular identify with any of them. Because I very <laughs> often get asked, so are you, do you feel you're Italian or do you feel you're American or do you feel you're this or that? And I, I just feel very comfortable with people mm. in general. People are very similar. At the end of the day, everybody wants... You know, to love and be loved and be happy, and 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 I think that's pretty universal. I like that. Yeah. Can we quote you? We'll do a cross stitch here for I, Highway I, 89 to put on absolute, the wall. Absolutely, stitch away. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to move on to Beethoven here, and and you have some experience. Uh, everything from I, I was looking through titles of your albums, your eight albums. Everything from the 2014 album Roll Over Beethoven, which has no Beethoven on it, no smoking, mostly Julian. Appassionata Beethoven, there is Beethoven on that one, uh, sin- yes. <laughs> sinfully classical, only preludes live from Italy and the romantic piano. Uh, do you have an affinity for Beethoven? Is is like a favorite composer? Um, or, is, or is it a particular work like this sonata we're about to hear? Um, I, I would say that I do have an affinity for Beethoven. I think he's a, someone of great extremes and really explored the all the possibilities of human emotion through music Mm. um and and i guess that feels very good as a as a performer to be able to just you know go crazy like you know give everything you have and so that that feels very good when performing beethoven i i I definitely love performing beethoven nice well look we got a piano let's go ahead and hear from Beethoven, the Moonlight Sonata, also known as Sonata Opus 27, number two in C sharp minor.
Perfect ending to this program today with beautiful piano music and wonderful performance by our guest today. Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata, his Sonata in C-sharp minor, performed just now live in studio. Our guest today has been Steinway artist and pianist Julian Gargiulo. He's recorded eight albums, most recently Rollover Beethoven, and he's also the founder of the Getting to Carnegie competition. More information about his latest projects and concerts is online at juliangargiulo.com. That's G-A-R-G-I-U-L-O. Julian, thank you. Thank you for coming today. Thank you, Steve. It's really been great to be with you, and uh, I uh, look forward to seeing all of you at my concert here in Utah. Oh, very exciting. Today's performance was arranged with the help of the Mundi Project, an organization devoted to providing young people access to pianos, music education, and innovative performance opportunities. And if you're listening at home, if you just caught part of the show, you want to hear the first part, hear it all again or share it. So easy to do. All of our shows are archived online for free on-demand listening at byuradio.org slash highway89. Also follow us on Twitter at BYUH89 for live show updates and special behind-the-scenes photos and video clips. Highway 89 is a production of BYU Broadcasting in Provo, Utah. The recording engineer is Mark Waite. Our film assistant is Abby Horlocker, and the show's producer is Jackie Tataishi. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.